You are listening to the sermon podcast of International Lutheran Church in Seoul, South Korea. I'm Pastor Chuck Hoffman. And I was wanting to focus on the kingdom of God, which is what these parables are about here in our Gospel of Mark. The first time that I read the New Testament as a new Christian, some words and some phrases confused me. And actually, this was one of those phrases, kingdom of God. I think in the Gospel of Matthew, it's usually called kingdom of heaven. Jesus uses this phrase an awful lot. In fact, many of his parables, maybe even most of his parables, are about the kingdom of God. They're called kingdom of God parables. And he says, the kingdom of God is like this. Or he'll say, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Well, it's like this. And he will usually fill in a visual picture or something from everyday life that normal, everyday Israelites would have understood, often agricultural themes. But what exactly is the kingdom of God? I'm American, so I don't really understand kingdoms. We kind of fundamentally, our identity is we rejected a king. We rejected being a kingdom. We said authority derives from the people, not from a king. We said government by the people and for the people. So kingdoms have always, in my mind, sort of belonged to the realm of history or legend or fantasy. For example, in my own culture, if you say the magic kingdom, everyone will know that you're talking about Disney World in Orlando, Florida. Or if I talk about the kingdom of Camelot, people know that I'm speaking of this somewhat historical, somewhat legend-based time of King Arthur in England. But if I say the kingdom of God, even if I'm speaking with an American who, you know, that country has deep Christian roots, has hundreds of thousands of churches, often many, many people will be just as confused as I was. What does that actually mean? What is the kingdom of God? Well, it has no borders. You cannot see the king. In fact, you cannot see any of the kingdom at all. And this is why Jesus had to always describe the kingdom of God in terms of things which can be seen. I cannot see someone coming to faith. I cannot see the Holy Spirit working in that individual's heart. I cannot understand the growth and the watering that is taking place. So, it's like a farmer who plants a seed. And day and night that crop is growing, the, the farmer, they may not understand, and they certainly they cannot see the, the photosynthesis or the cell growth 
or the nutrients being pulled up out of the soil, the absorption. They cannot see what makes that growth possible. But day and night, the crop is growing all by itself without the farmer's direct knowledge or involvement. Gene and I have had the pleasure of being in Iowa and other agricultural states in the U.S. And we've been next to cornfields in the middle of summer on a hot day. And if you listen carefully, you can hear the corn growing. It's growing so quickly, it's just there's like a crackling sound that you can hear throughout the field. All of those corn stalks, they began as a little blade, just a small green leaf. And before long, by the end of summer, they're taller than a grown man and they're ready for harvest. The kingdom of God grows and works and is at work all of the time in the hearts of believers. And we cannot see that and we cannot understand how it works. Or we have also this morning the parable of the mustard seed. The mustard seed, as you can see here, is a tiny, tiny seed. You would never see it if it was on the sidewalk in front of you. You'd walk right over it without noticing it. But inside of that seed is the genetic code, everything that's needed to produce this. That is the mustard tree that Jesus was referring to. Something large enough for birds to come and take a rest, land on the branches. Something so small, so insignificant, so tiny, could produce this. Something that would provide shelter and rest. So we see the kingdom of God is always at work in ways that are hard to see. And also we see that the kingdom of God may look very unimpressive at first, but that its potential is very great. So if I had to give a one-sentence definition of what is the kingdom of God, I would say the kingdom of God is wherever God reigns, wherever God rules. And that includes the heart of every believer. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is wherever the church of Christ exists. It exists uh, among the believers that still are gathering in these uh, towering cathedrals in Europe, even if the numbers are now small. It exists in packed megachurches in North America. It exists in remote Arctic villages, Inuit villages. In the Arctic Circle, where just five or six gather together. The kingdom of God exists above time, above space. It transcends those things. There is no border. There is no beginning. There is no end to the kingdom of God. Perhaps kingdom is kind of a bad word. Uh, it comes with a lot of baggage for many people. I was watching World Cup soccer. Uh, I'm, I'm a sports fan, so I like to watch those things. And the very first match of this World Cup uh, was on the other day. And nowadays, 
when there's any kind of sports with many countries, you know, the score will be up in the corner. And the name of the country will be given with a three-letter code, usually. So one of the competing teams, it said R-U-S. And I was fairly confident that that team was Russia. That one was easy to figure out. But the other one said K-S-A. And I thought, K-S-A, what is that? I wasn't quite sure. And then I realized that it stood for Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. The kingdoms that we are familiar with have rulers who sometimes are just and sometimes are unjust. There's often greed. There's often injustice. And that's true of any form of government in the world. And it's also true of monarchies. The one thing that seems to be common with all monarchies is that royal families seem to live much better than the common people that they rule. So we may sort of transfer some of these impressions onto God and make him out to be a human king like the ones we are familiar with. Uh, maybe a tyrant, maybe distant, maybe remote, not concerned with the common man. But God is a different kind of king. And his kingdom is different from the human kingdoms that we are familiar with. Most kings, for example, they want to ensure that their son, or in some cases their daughter, will have a, a clear path to the throne after they are gone. And they may even kill off rivals, even family members, to make sure that this one chosen child will be the one to sit on the throne after them. But God did just the opposite. Instead of protecting his only son, he gave him up. And instead, in giving him up, has allowed us to inherit what the son was supposed to inherit. Allowing him to die so that we would become royalty in his place. So that we would receive that inheritance. Be added to the royal family. And the scriptures say even that we reign together with the Son for all eternity. So the kingdom of God is one where everyone is royalty. Everyone who is brought to faith is a ruler. And everyone is a priest as well. The fantasy novels that were written by C.S. Lewis, uh, you can see this theme very clearly. There are four British children, two sisters and their two brothers, and they stumble upon a magical entrance into this other world, this other kingdom that's called Narnia. They are surprised when they are treated like royalty. And the creatures of this world treat them with awe and with respect, even though they're just small children. They call them the sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. And these creatures recognize these children not as British commoners, like the world that they came from, but as royalty. And yet at the same time, even though these children are royalty in this world, everyone knows who is truly in charge. It's this lion of Judah called, in this world, Aslan. 
Narnia is a parable for the kingdom of God. I can remember chatting with a friend that I knew online. Uh, She's a young woman actually from Thailand. And she wrote just randomly on social media one day. She said, I just saw the Chronicles of Narnia. And this Aslan is such a wonderful king, a wonderful leader. I would love to follow such a leader that would give his life for his followers. And I wrote back to her. I said, "Uh, Aslan is Christ. I hope you know this. Don't you see? And I hope she was able to see, but I don't know. It's a seed, and I hope that that seed is growing and that it continues to grow, unknown to me. For us as believers, the kingdom of God parables can be a reminder for us to allow God to reign and to rule in our lives even the parts of our lives that we want to hold back from God's rule. That means sometimes that we don't get to do what we want to do or to keep the priorities that we want to keep. We recognize also that we walk simultaneously in two different worlds. Just like uh, those children, we kind of go back and forth between these two kingdoms, uh, life in Narnia and then also life In this world, under human rule, we Christians walk in these two worlds, walk in these two kingdoms at the same time. But the thing that we always ought to remember is that only one of these two kingdoms is eternal. Only one of the kingdoms will be in our lives forever. Human kingdoms and governments and leaders, they come and they go but the kingdom of God remains forever. So it's important for us to remember this difference and remember which kingdom is true and of lasting importance. You can see this uh, in Jesus. Many times people would come up to him and try to draw him into a political controversy. The biggest controversy of his day was the Roman rule and occupation of Israelite land. The big question was, should we allow this foreign power to rule us or should we resist them and fight them at all costs, no matter what? The Romans brought order and security and prosperity But they did not believe in one God that created all things like the Jews believed. Although the Romans were generally tolerant of their belief and allowed them to practice for the most part. People wanted to know where Jesus stood. Fight them or submit to them. And Jesus always pointed back to something of more lasting worth. Not the controversy of the day. These things are passing away, Jesus would say. Look to the everlasting kingdom. Allow your hearts and your minds to be ruled by the eternal one. Follow God, he would say. Worship him alone. The rest of this stuff will take care of itself. And this is a comfort, I think. It's a comfort in uncertain times. Even as worlds shift around us, The kingdom of God remains, and that's where our true and lasting allegiance lies. Amen.